Hi all. So I'm a long time lurker slash subscriber. Listening to all of these stories, I never thought something remotely frightening would ever happen to me. But I guess I was wrong. The situation has been unfolding for the last eight months, and I finally got my answers today. February 10th. You'll understand once I explain the story. I'll start off by setting the scene at the time and describing myself. I'm a 25-year-old woman who currently lives in England. I live in a countryside setting and around two hours away from the heart of Cambridgeshire, if anyone knows that location. I live on the end house of a row of houses with my two older siblings and parents. I have mousy brown hair, blue eyes, five foot five and currently weigh around 140 pounds, so I'm not the skinniest of girls. I've been told many times by many people that I look at the youngest 17 or 18, and this will be important later in the story. Here we go. I'll start by saying when this all started. It began back in June of 2019. The past few weeks had been very good weather, and my mom had previously told me that she planned for our relatives to come around for a barbecue. This included my auntie, uncle, cousins with their kids, and other halves, so yeah, a big get-together. I had started to plan how to make the garden look a bit better, as we would be having a barbecue outside. That meant painting, weeding, planting, flowers, etc. I had to do all this work in the evening, as I work early to midday and I'm usually back around 3 o'clock. It was summer, and the sun was out late, so it wasn't much of a problem. Now, as I previously mentioned, we're the end house, and our next-door neighbor who owns her house, we do not, rents her rooms out to tenants. Their windows look right into our garden. So in June, every other day, me and my family, once we had finished work, would notice a man that would be peeking out of the window that's located nearest to the garden fence, staring down at all of us. We're kind of the family that don't give it much thought, so we all ignored him. We thought maybe he was just a new tenant that had moved in and was just getting used to his surroundings. But for a few days, I would notice that when I came home and started gardening, he would stare at me from his window. This made me slightly uncomfortable, but I tried not to let it get to me. Maybe I was being overly paranoid. A few days passed by with him staring at me, until one day I was coming in from the front door. He was also outside, and he came up to me to talk. Hi there, my name is Dave, the nosy neighbor at the window. I'll be changing all the names just for privacy reasons. I awkwardly nodded my head a little and replied, Uh, hi Dave, I'm Charlotte. I felt a sick feeling rising up in my stomach when he smirked and looked me down from top to bottom. I let out a cough of nervousness, and then sputtered out, Look, I have to go do dinner, so goodbye. Before he could even reply, I rushed into the house, suddenly feeling very shaky. I just shook this feeling off again, and decided to just go on with my day. That is, until the evening, when I let my dogs into the back garden. I realized that he was leaning out of his window. I immediately ignored him by turning my back in his direction, silently praying that he won't talk to me. That's when he pipes up. 
Hi, Charlotte. I let out a sigh, cursing my inability to be rude. You see, I'm the type of person who does not like confrontation. I have a lot of patience, and I just don't like to be rude. Uh, hi, I reply awkwardly. He smiles again, and I can feel my stomach eating at itself. So, would you like to go on a date with me? I stood there completely frozen. Dave was around 60 years old, a bald head and tattoos all up his arms. I'll also put in here that when he's always out the window, he has no shirt on. His eyes are sunken and he's extremely skinny. I looked at him uncomfortably and shook my head a no. Look, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. He gives me a little smirk before saying, Not even for a meal? He pushes. I shake my head. Look, sorry, I really am not interested. I try to say it as politely as I can. Not even for a drink? I grip my teeth. I'm standing there thinking, what the fuck is wrong with this dude? Can't he just take a hint? I again tell him I'm not interested, and turn away from him hoping to cut off the conversation. Am I making you uncomfortable? Can I say hi? I spin my head to give him the are you fucking kidding me look. I narrow my eyes whilst going, You can say hi, but if you keep asking me out, then yeah, it's gonna make me feel uncomfortable. I turned away from him again. This is when he started to continuously call my name out. I just ignored him. I hoped he would get the hint and go inside, but this is when I hear someone tell him to get down from the window. I'll also make everyone aware right now that my neighbor who owns the house is currently in surgery and she's very elderly, so I don't blame her at all for the events following. I don't think she could have helped in any way. A few days passed, and it was now July. Every single day that I was standing outside tending to the garden, which is about two hours each day, he was just completely staring out of the window at me, where he would be lurking just behind the curtain where he thought I couldn't see him. I started to dread going outside every day and I started to feel a bit trapped. This is when I told my family. My mom and dad decided to go have a little chat with him. My mom is a mama bear going next door. She's the type of person that's very scary because she's so calm. So yeah, don't want to mess with them. They come back and tell me that he said that he's sorry, didn't mean to make me feel uncomfortable, and he won't do it again, basically saying the stuff he knows they want to hear. But for the next few days, it doesn't lighten up at all. He's again still at the window, staring at me. It's gotten so bad that when I tap on my living room window, my sister knows that's the signal that he's there and for her to come out with me. This is the time when he also puts some blinds up. I can't tell if he's looking through the blinds down at me. I also started to experience some trouble with sleeping and panic attacks as the situation was stressing me out so bad. The next incident that happened, once again, all the family got home from work at the same time, and we started to put the cars in the garden. We have our own driveway in our back garden, as the garden is pretty huge. I was absolutely dying to go to the toilet, so Mum, seeing this, gave me the front door keys. I ran around to the front door, about to put the key in, when I heard that next door neighbor's door had opened. I looked up to see Dave smirking at me. My heart just about stopped, 
and I felt an overwhelming feeling to run away. Seconds later, my brother was by my side. Instead of going in the front door, we ran back to the back garden to go in the back way. Unbeknownst to me at the time, my mom had seen Dave jump down from the window when he saw that I was going to the front door. My mom then shouted for my brother to follow me. Within the coming weeks, the evenings stayed the same, with me doing my best to do the gardening and him always staring at me. My siblings would often come out with me, but he would disappear and then reappear once they went inside. Another day of gardening, me and my brother were outside in the garden, and again he was window staring. My legs started shaking, and I honestly thought that they would collapse underneath me. My nerves felt like they were eating me alive, and I felt like I was on the brink of another panic attack. So I went to Jason. Bro, I'm gonna start the front garden. He nodded, replying that he would come with me to keep me company. Once we started to do the front garden, Dave came out with a handful of rubbish four times, once again looking my body up and down. In that moment, I literally thought I was going to break down and cry. I'm just standing there screaming in my head. Why won't this bastard just leave me alone? I told him I'm not interested. I look away and concentrate down at the leaves I'm putting into bags. Dave then proceeds to walk out, slam the door, and in the opposite direction down the street. The way our houses are set up is so that it's basically like a small estate. You can do a lap around the houses and you'll walk past our house. I'm cleaning the leaves, mentally in my head saying, He's just going around the block to walk past us. Lo and behold, ten minutes later, he walks right past our gate and just walks up. How are you two doing? I ignore his attempts at talking. I feel my blood rushing into my ears, and my heart would not stop beating. I look at my brother, and he gives me a concerned look. The next day, I'm sitting in the garden, and I get a picture of him looking out the window and staring at me. This was for future evidence for the police. After a few days of him lurking at his window, I'd had enough and I called the non-emergency police line. They said they would be out that evening, which was a Saturday. Around 8pm that night, two officers came around and I explained to them the whole situation. I won't bore you with the details of this meeting, but I broke down crying. All they said was that it was suspicious for him to be looking out of the window so often, but of course, there wasn't a lot they could do. They said they would look into it, but I never heard back from them. There I was, sitting there, feeling like I was a prisoner in my own home. I couldn't even go into my own garden without feeling uncomfortable, because I never knew when he would be there lurking at the window. A few more days carried on with the same routine, but this time I only went out for around 20 minutes. I was just too scared to go into my own garden. My panic attacks had worsened. I was having one almost every day. I was getting sleep paralysis, and I would see him standing at the edge of my bed. I was having mood swings where one day I would be feeling alright, then suddenly an hour later I would be in tears because I couldn't cope with the constant paranoia. Even when I did laugh and smile, it was fake because the stress was overwhelming and I just couldn't be myself. Even the shakes I had were uncontrollable. The following Friday, it was pouring down rain. I was finishing the last bits of the garden as the barbecue was only two weeks away. I again was outside, 
but this time I had to plant a sunflower below his window. I could feel his eyes piercing through the back of my head. I started to shake, and my heart was pounding in my ears. I couldn't take it anymore. I knocked on the window to get my sister to come out, and she started to help me. I heard him cough above us, and I snapped. My previous being polite attitude just went out the window. I looked up at him and met his eyes. I felt a surge of anger flow through me. He smiled. Would you stop fucking looking at me? I yelled. He had a split second of shock before he came back to his senses and frowned. I can look out my window if I want to. I gritted my teeth at the nerve of him. Yes, but you're always staring at me. Just leave me alone. He scoffed and then replied, I have the right to look out my window whenever I want, and at whatever I want. I don't care. I can and I will. I saw my sister's face turn sour. You're looking at her wherever she goes. She's been out here and you haven't stopped gawking at her. I heard the anger in her voice, but I'm more concentrated on trying to calm myself down. Oh, fuck off, he yells, disappearing from sight. I grit my teeth trying to push the tears down. What is this guy's problem? About a minute later, he returns to the window and yells out, I've looked on Google, and it says I have the right to look wherever I want. I know, right? Ridiculous. He proceeds to yell at my sister. Oh, fuck off, you slag. Get over yourself. I would rather shag your brother. We all start yelling at each other. This argument proceeded with my family coming out, and my mother telling him to get down or she'd call the police for harassing us. He yells at her. Fuck off, you fat fucking slag. I can do what I want. Yeah, I know. Lovely language. She again says she'll call the police, and we all run inside. This argument was a bit longer, but I just can't remember all of the details. It was a few months ago, and everyone was so angry in the heat of the moment. We do just that, and the local police said they'd be around the next day. The argument occurred at the end of July. The next day, around 3 o'clock, the local police came around. It seemed like they were taking it a bit more seriously. I told them about everything I had previously reported, but big surprise, the other police officers hadn't put it on record. The police officer, Jenny, told me to explain everything. I did, and she asked me the question, what would you like to happen? I couldn't hold it in and broke down. I replied in tears. I just want him to stop. I don't know, just make him stop. I couldn't handle the stress anymore. After a long discussion, she said she was going to look into it. I nodded, not really expecting much. But the next day, she called me asking if I was willing to write a statement, which I agreed to. The next day was Monday, and this was when I wrote my statement, when I was told he was a registered sex offender. He would be arrested the following morning for stalking and harassment. I was so relieved, but I didn't know this was going to go on for another few months. The following day, they arrested him at 8 a.m. in the morning. I felt a little light-hearted when I saw them break down the door and drag him away in cuffs in the police car. That evening, I also learned his full name, which I won't write here, but they told me to look him up. I did and found out he was previously sent to prison for 10 years for grooming and having a sexual relationship with a 13-year-old. This now brings me to the last five months. 
I was told I was being summoned to court in October. The arrest had happened in August, so a few months of worrying and paranoia. Although he was out on bail, he was not allowed in my village or anywhere near me. October rolled around, and I was a bundle of nerves. I'm sitting in the waiting area of witnesses. Everything is a blur, and I'm just waiting for it all to be over. The prosecutor then comes in the room with a crestfallen look on his face. He sadly tells me that my case has been adorned, and the case will have to be booked. I again break down and can't believe my luck. He's walking about the streets when he could be terrorizing another young girl. I'm told that the next court date will be in February. This brings me to the last two weeks. I get to court again, this time not feeling like being a witness, but I know it's better for my case if I do. They usually start at 9, but they were late, so they say they'll start at 10. 10 rolls around, then 10.30, then 11. 11.15, I'm starting to get worried again. What if it's adjourned again? I won't be able to have the guts to come next time. I see the prosecutor come in, and I'm holding my breath. He smiles. He pleaded guilty. I let out a squeal and a half sob. It's all over. This is when he tells me more that I was not aware of. Two months before he had moved to the house next door, he had sexually assaulted another three girls under the age of 16. Every year before that, he's done something similar. I'm gobsmacked. Why the hell is he still on the streets? He then tells me, Charlotte, earlier I asked you how old you were. It's because you look very young for your age. The way he was approaching you, it's very similar to the way he approached the other girls. I stared at him but nodded my head silently. I didn't realize how close to danger I had come. It was so frightening. It's now February 10th, and I just found out he got sentenced to eight months in prison. Not as much as I would like considering the nightmare he put me and them other poor girls through. Two years probation, community service, and unpaid work. I also have a restraining order now, which I'm glad about. Sorry it was long, but I've wanted to write this for ages. So everyone out there, please be safe and always trust your gut. If you feel unsafe, tell someone, even if you feel silly about it. And to Dave, who put me through seven months of hell and who most likely ruined many other poor girls' lives. Rotten hell, you fucking asshole. Hey everyone, this is my first post of an actual story on Reddit, so please bear with me. I've been reading everyone's amazing stories for years, and felt like it was only fair that I contribute something back. Allow me to tell you about the time I dated a guy on MySpace for two years that nearly ended up getting my entire family murdered, me stalked by a psycho, and everyone involved nearly losing their minds. I've never written this down before, or told very many people that I even trust. It's all just too painful, and quite honestly almost unbelievable to tell. If it didn't happen to me, I wouldn't believe it either but unfortunately it did. I promise you that what you're about to read is 100% the absolute truth, so I hope you all find this interesting. Let me give you some background for this story. I'm an almost 28-year-old gay male who was born and raised in the Appalachian Mountains. For my friends not in America, that's in the south more towards the mid-Atlantic region, 
I usually don't just throw being gay out there, but it's important to my tale and to understanding why I made such insanely poor choices in my teenage years. I know almost everyone does, but this really takes the cake. Follow me back to when I was 16, just about 12 years ago. I was in junior high school and had plenty of friends and no trouble with bullies, at least not while I was in school. My parents are now wonderful people who greatly regret the way they treated me when they found out I was gay. At the time, I hated them for being so horrendous to me, but as I got older, I finally understood that the reaction was just a product of the strict religious movement they and myself were brought up in. Mild disclaimer, I don't have any hatred in my heart for any religion no matter what its views are. Whatever you choose to believe in is alright by me. I'm more of a treat people the way you'd like to be treated kind of guy. It just happened to be my parents' reaction, so please don't judge them too harshly. My parents, who at the time firmly believed that this would send my eternal soul into damnation, pretty much only allowed me to stay at our house a couple of days a week after that. For at least a year, I was living on friends' couches, and off the kindness of their parents. I was in what I can only describe as the worst state of miserable major depression I've ever been in in my life. I had tried to commit suicide the year before with a very serious overdose that cost me nine days in the ICU. I should have died, but your liver is an amazing thing, and it started to regenerate on its own. A year to the day after that, literally to the day, the first guy I ever fell in love with was killed in a tragic car accident. My parents had zero sympathy for my feelings. They were the immoral feelings of their blasphemous son, after all, so they didn't count, I guess. I remember coming back home from his funeral that night, and my father asking me, Why are you so upset? Were you a fag with that boy or something? I didn't even respond, just walked right past him and straight into my room, where I proceeded to cry myself to sleep. Again, don't judge them too harshly, they were different people back then. Needless to say, this sent me completely spiraling downward in the worst ways possible. Drugs, alcohol, you name it, I did it. Anything to stay numb and keep myself from feeling the immense amounts of pain that I was in emotionally every single day. To have your situation go from a year before seeing your father cry for the first time as you lay dying in a hospital bed, to him spewing so much malice and hatred towards you, Let's just say it was enough to make anyone have a mental breakdown. I had friends who cared about and loved me deeply. I don't know why that wasn't enough. It just wasn't. I felt like no one truly loved me or ever would. Hell, if my own parents couldn't, then what were my chances with finding a soulmate? Would I just be alone forever and as miserable as I was then? At the time, and in my angsty teenage mind, that's exactly what it felt like. This finally brings us through the end of my background, and my mindset leading into the pure, unadulterated hell that was soon to follow. In the midst of my deepest, darkest despair, the brightest idea anyone has ever had on this planet popped right into my head. Well, if no one around here will ever love me, I just go online and try to meet someone who will. Pure stroke of genius, right? It just made absolute biblical sense to me at the time. I felt like the only gay teen in the whole damn state. 
like the only person who really understood me there was me, and would only ever be me. In order to find someone to love me, I would have to search far and wide beyond the borders of the mountainous fortress I had resided in my whole life. Proud of myself for having such an ingenious idea, I immediately hopped on my MySpace. Facebook for us old people, for all of you young folks saying what the fuck is MySpace. I spent the next hour making it as badass looking as I thought I could. You could customize just about everything on your profile, so of course mine had to accurately reflect all my emo feelings and the darkness in my soul. Word to the wise, and something I wish I realized back then, if you're trying to attract the darker things in society, you're probably going to get back exactly what you're sending out. I know sure as hell I did. It all started out innocently enough. I clicked on one of my gay acquaintances' profiles, and for some reason this guy on his top eight just flew right out at me. His name was Jacob. He was gorgeous, dressed all in black, and was pretty much all I needed to know at the time. I saw he was from Maryland, several hours away from me, but far enough to possibly not be like everyone else here. Far enough to hopefully have exactly the kind of mentality I was looking for in another human being. So I sent him a message. Something lame to the effect of, Hi, what's up? I saw you on my friend's top eight and I thought you were cute. I figured I would say hello. I wasn't expecting a response to this. None whatsoever. He was so gorgeous and seemed way too cool for me. Why in God's name would he message a guy like me back? But then it happened. Within a minute of me sending out my message, I got one back, and it was from him. Not gonna lie, I exploded in joy on the inside, something that I hadn't felt in years and years. It was just something simple. Hey, you're cute too, how are you? But it was enough to send me flying over the moon. I felt alive again, but what I really felt was hope. We talked for the rest of the day and night. We talked about each other, how much life sucked, how bad we wanted away from our hometown and our lives. You know, the usual for teenage gay boys living in repression. I fell for him hard. Too hard. Hook, line, and sinker hard. We chatted for maybe a week before he asked me out. I had no problems with dating online. Hell, that was the whole point of me doing this in the first place. So I eagerly said yes. We'd only been dating for a week after that or so, when he introduced me to the rest of his friends. I met his ex-boyfriend Zachary, their best friend Josie, who I quickly became best friends with, along with about ten other guys and girls. Josie was a cool chick, and she had known these guys for years. Who better to give me all the dirt on all of them? During the course of the next month, Josie and I became the closest friends out of everyone he introduced me to, in what turned out to be a gang. They were mostly just a group of suburban white kids who called themselves the elites. They drank and smoked a lot of weed. I had heard some crazy stories here and there about them beating people up, and some of them taking the gang thing way too seriously, but I didn't really think too much about it. Josie and I had been talking on the phone every single day, and really made a genuine connection with each other. She had my sense of bizarre humor, was extremely intelligent, and liked to have a crazy good time on top of it all. During this period, Jacob and I were doing great, but there was one little problem. 
had started to fall for his ex, Zachary, the more I talked to him. Jacob could be intense and at times violent when he was angry, from what I'd heard. But on the other hand, Zachary was his complete opposite. He was too kind for his own good, an extremely caring guy. He wrote the most beautiful piano music I'd ever heard. Being a musician myself, French horn for ten years, I was immediately endeared to the guy. The more and more time I spent talking online to Zachary, the less and less time I felt like talking to Jacob. Eventually, Jacob kind of figured out what was going on, and to my shock, he let me know he was cool with it and wished us the best. And that's how after two months with Jacob, I started dating his ex, Zachary. This would be the guy I would date for the next two years, and with whom the worst times of my life would be spent. Josie was clearly thrilled for me. We still talked online every day and on the phone. Sometimes I talked to Zachary on the phone, but more often than not, we just kept our communication to AOL Instant Messenger. When we started dating was when everything started to collapse. Jacob, who had initially said he was okay with everything, ended up exploding. He tore me a new one online, and then proceeded to go and kidnap my current boyfriend. Josie called me up, freaking me the hell out, saying he'd taken Zachary and no one knew where they were. And this clearly sent me reeling from shock. I guess all the rumors I'd heard about Jacob were true. And now, because of my actions, the guy I was in love with was in danger. I quickly contacted some of the older guys in the gang and let them know what was going on. Their response was basically, Oh shit, not again. This caught me off guard. Again? You mean this happens frequently? I talked to Chaz, the leader of this gang, while he sent some guys out to deal with Jacob and retrieve my boyfriend. He basically told me in a nutshell that Jacob has been, and always will be, obsessed with Zachary. That when he gets wasted on whatever he's doing, he goes cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs and sets out on some wild mission to kidnap and apparently violate my new boyfriend. I couldn't believe it. I mean, I was in complete and total shock. But apparently, this situation was resolved easily, and he handed over my man without too much incident. He also received a healthy ass-beating to remind Jacob it's not nice to go around kidnapping people just because you can. This was the first, and certainly not last, incident I can remember where a pattern I'm all too familiar with now would develop over the next several years. Jacob would get drunk and jealous, he would do something completely insane to me or my boyfriend, and then after all the freaking out and worrying was over with, he would come back crying and begging mine and Zachary's forgiveness. This became a weekly routine, and it began to wear me out mentally very quickly. Flash forward to around a year after I had sent the very first message to Jacob. I was still with Zachary, still best friends with Josie, who I'd even been up to Maryland and met in person at this point, unfortunately to miss my boyfriend who was out of town visiting family. I was still dealing with Jacob's craptastic insane plots to ruin my relationship and give me a stroke before the age of 20. None of his craziness set off any red flags in my head, not one. As a matter of fact, Nothing period during that entire year gave me second thoughts about anything that was going on really. That day-to-day, the-sky-is-falling lifestyle had become the norm for me. I was used to it. Several of my friends, however, had their doubts. They were polite enough to keep it to themselves for the time being. 
This was when the first true danger that threatened me and my family ever arose. It led to a night I'll never forget as long as I live. Cut to me as a 17-year-old, who in the span of one year had accomplished everything he set out to do. I have the perfect boyfriend, even if I'd never met him, I didn't care. I had an awesome new best friend in Josie. We'd hung out a few times at that point, and I adored her. And I had joined a group of my own, in my hometown. My parents were going to throw me away just because of who I loved. Well, then I was going to throw away every single religious thing I'd ever been taught, and go over to the dark side. I became a Luciferian, also known as a Satanist. And boy, oh boy, did I think I was a badass now. Now, when it comes to the coven I joined in my hometown, that could fill an entirely different story in an entirely different subreddit. Maybe I'll post that experience sometime. But the point of telling you about them was so you could understand what happened next. I received a call one night at around 12am from Josie, who was almost beside herself. Very out of character for her. I mean, hell, Zachary had been kidnapped over 40 times in the past year, and she hardly ever batted an eye. But this was different. She explained to me that Jacob had really outdone himself and lost his mind this time. He had hired a guy from the elites named Sean to come down to my house and kill me, plus my mother, father, and youngest sister. My sister was about seven and a half years younger than me. From the day she was born, I've always been fiercely protective of her. She was, and still is, my beautiful baby sister, and the only one in my household that I loved and who loved me at the time. When I heard that my ex had taken it so far as to hire a hitman to come after my family, I flew into what we call around here a mountain rage. It didn't matter to me if someone simply came after me, but to target my precious sister who had nothing to do with any of this was the boiling point. Even though I despised my parents, I'm still a southerner, and when you mess with a southerner's family, then all the crap you're fighting about goes right out the window. Complete and total defend the homestead mode kicked in. I asked Josie when he'd left Maryland. She told me she found out that he'd started driving towards my house maybe an hour ago, and as soon as she found out, she called me immediately. Okay, so that meant I had at most six hours to prepare, and at the least possibly four if he'd gotten a good head start. She informed me that Sean was a former army guy, but got kicked out for failing several psych tests and being a complete sociopath in general. Not a big guy. At the time, I weighed even less than I do now. I was 5'7 and maybe weighed 130 pounds soaking wet, but my first thought didn't require brute strength to beat back this attacker. I called up my coven leader, Brandon, who lived not even 10 minutes away from me, and explained the situation. I told him I needed to borrow his favorite toy, and I promised to bring it back in good condition with as little blood on it as possible. He agreed. About 30 minutes later, I was back in my home in my room, cleaning and loading an extremely nice over and under pump action shotgun. Like I said, no brute force required. I called Josie back up and got the details on exactly what he and his car looked like. Around 4 a.m., I told her I would call her back and crept out to my front yard. Now, for people who had never been to my house, they always got where to park at wrong. They always ended up in front of my house down a hill instead of in the driveway on the side. This little detail was stuck in my mind and probably saved my life. In the very front of my yard, 
there was a huge oak tree that was big enough for my skinny, girl-jean-wearing emo ass to hide behind perfectly. All I had to do was wait and hope that he did exactly what I thought he would. I got so lucky. He parked exactly on the opposite side of the big tree I was hiding behind. I heard a car door open, and someone step outside the vehicle followed shortly by the unmistakable cocking of a 9mm handgun. While that sound may have struck fear in the hearts of others, it enraged me to the core, so I replied in kind with a sound of my own. As I stepped around the side of the tree, he was directly in front of his car, gunned down by his side. In one motion, I simultaneously pumped a shell into the chamber of my shotgun and raised it directly level with his head about 10 feet away from me. This caught him off guard and completely by surprise. I didn't hesitate. I told him the God's honest truth. Buddy, you got two options right now. Either you get back in your car, turn around and drive your ass straight back to Maryland without stopping, or you can so much as flinch in my general direction, and I'll splatter your brains all across the great state of insert my state. You have five seconds to decide. What's it gonna be? I kid you not. The most sickly smile spread across this psycho's face, and for a moment I thought we were about to reenact the movie Tombstone. Fortunately, he had much more of a sense of self-preservation than I thought someone who'd just driven eight hours to kill a family he never met would have. All he did was give a little chuckle and said, You're a cool dude. See you around. He then walked backwards very slowly, my gun following him the entire way. He got back in his car and just drove off. Right then and there, I made up my mind. I had to tackle the beast head on. I was always raised that if you have a problem, be a damn man and take care of it yourself. I had to go to my enemy Jacob's home turf and bring this war to his doorstep just like he'd brought it to mine. It was time to go to Maryland. After all the damn drama of nearly being murdered by a nut job, I'd really had enough of Jacob's BS at this point. I got online and cussed him out until a fly wouldn't land on him, making a point to let him know that his little plan had backfired. He wasn't dealing with some poor little boy that couldn't fend for himself. Each and every crazy situation that evolved had made me stronger as a person, if not a little more mentally disturbed every time. I told him he was going to regret the day he ever crossed me and my boyfriend. Instead of apologizing like usual, his true colors came out. He laughed at me. He told me I was cute when I was angry. It was a damn shame that I didn't have a bullet hole in my head. He wished I was dead and that he never spoke to me in the first place because he was still in love with his ex, my current boyfriend of a year, Zachary. He informed me that the war was just beginning. He would do everything in his power to win Zachary back, like he was some kind of adorable trophy you won for baking the best pie at the county fair. I was incensed completely livid and brimming to the edge with fury. I told him to watch his back because I was coming for him. I called Josie and told her everything that happened and asked if I could come stay with her for a week. She excitedly agreed. Zachary was asleep for this whole ordeal and blissfully unaware that anything had happened. When he found out the next day, I think he was even more angry than I was. Fortunately for us, the gang's leader, Chaz, liked Zachary a whole hell of a lot more than he did Jacob, so we hatched a plan with him. The idea was for them to kidnap Jacob like he had Zachary so many times before. They would be accomplishing this task while I was on my way up to Maryland, 
When I got there, he would be mine to do with as I pleased. You can imagine, on the eight-hour drive up there, all of the hideous and heinously brutal ideas that were going through my mind. I was going to inflict maximum amounts of pain on the guy that had caused so much in my own life, and I would relish every second of it. Unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, my dreams of reviving the Spanish Inquisition on my ex's head never came to fruition. When I arrived in Maryland, Josie came skipping out to greet me, happy as a lark, like always, to see me. She had some good and bad news. I always ask for the bad news first. The bad news was that Jacob had gotten tipped off by Kenny. Freaking loathed that guy, always meddling where he didn't belong. That everyone was coming for him. He made a hasty retreat and had intended to kidnap Zachary and take him on the run, too. But that was the good news. Before he could get to him, Zachary had hopped on a bus and headed to New York to stay with his mom while things cooled off. As sad as I was that once again I had missed seeing him for the first time, I was just relieved that he was out of harm's way, safe and sound. No alarm bells going off that for the second time that I had made the trip up there, Zachary was not around. Josie called him on her cell, and he apparently picked up his mom's because he never had his own cell. We got to enjoy one of the rare times we actually spoke on the phone. All was well. Now for a week of fun and plotting what we were going to do to Jacob the next time he reared his ugly head. Later on that week, Josie wanted to drive down to an old colonial part of Maryland and go ghost hunting on these abandoned railroad tracks. However uneventful that may have been, we did end up inviting Sean to go with us. Turns out, Psycho Dude actually felt bad. Well, almost. He blankly told me that if I didn't have the balls to stand up to him, he would have killed me and my whole family for just $500. Instead of killing him on the spot, which every fiber of my being was telling me to do, I decided to play nice and get him on my side. That way, if Jacob ever tried that crap again, he would definitely tell him no because I'm the cool dude. Sometimes you catch more flies with honey. Anyways, the rest of the week was normal, and a damn good time. Josie and I said our goodbyes, and we parted ways wishing each other a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The next couple of weeks were semi-normal. No word from Jacob at all. Not even a peep. What a gift, I thought. I'll take it. Year two of my relationship began quite happily, believe it or not. Even my birthday month of January was an unusually good one. Then came the next couple of months. Two months which quite vividly live within me to this day. They also defined my life for the next several years. This is when all the sky stopped falling. My world completely crumbled from beneath me into utter devastation. At the beginning of February, Josie had a sudden and urgent impulse to get away from her parents. Now I could completely understand that so I happily agreed to let her come stay down south with me. I borrowed my best friend's car and drove a 15 to 16 some odd hour round trip all the way to Maryland and back. My parents were less than thrilled. They told me she couldn't live in the house with us. I said fine, shelled out my own money to a local La Quinta Inn where she and I lived for almost two weeks before my parents caved and let us back in the house. I forgot to mention something extremely important earlier about my boyfriend Zachary. He was sick. I meant terminally ill, but we thought it wouldn't be for years. I was told he had cystic fibrosis, and he needed a double lung transplant in order to live much longer. 
He was hospitalized in the beginning of February and rushed up the transplant list because his condition was so grave. I can't even begin to tell you how after a year we'd been through together, how badly I wanted to be by his side. Unfortunately, he was at a hospital in a part of the country that specializes in treating CF and was way too far for me to travel. Josie kept me in pretty good spirits about the whole thing. She had a lot of experience with cystic fibrosis since her sister had died from it several years earlier. She reassured me that since he was so young and tried to take such good care of himself that he would probably receive donor lungs very soon and be just fine. I tried not to worry too much, but in reality, of course, I worried my ass off. Losing him after getting him out of harm's way so many times before was just not an option in my mind. How could we have overcome so much? only for him to succumb to this disease. Zachary and I talked constantly when he felt like it, and even though he was scared and alone, he said he felt like a million bucks knowing I was supporting him with my love, no matter where I was. That made me feel wonderful, being able to comfort him from so far away. For a couple of weeks, my comfort seemed to be doing the trick. Until one day. That day. My boyfriend died suddenly on February 14, 2008. His lungs filled with fluid. He suffocated, and he died. There was nothing anyone could do. I was completely and totally lost. Josie broke the news, and I collapsed into the biggest mess you've ever seen in your life. She was still living with me at the time, so she tried to console me as best as she could. She was shedding her own tears at the loss of her best friend. That forever ruined Valentine's Day for me. To this day, it only reminds me of loss and death. You don't realize how fragile your heart truly is until you've experienced a loss like that. Little did I know that even worse moments of my life were about to occur a month later. I was headed on a course for total destruction, blissfully unaware of the one person who had been driving this crazy train from day one. Skip forward to March, St. Patrick's Day to be exact, a little over a month since Zachary had passed away. Josie had forcefully been returned to Maryland by her parents, seeing as how she had practically run away. I was off in a la-la land of booze, drugs, and more pain than either of those could possibly cover up. I was chilling with my Satanist posse, doing what all normal American teenagers do on St. Patrick's Day, pretending like we're Irish and testing the limits of alcohol poisoning. My alcohol tolerance back then was ridiculously high, so I had drank an inordinate amount when my phone rang. It was Josie. I slurred my words, something to the effect of, Hey girl, what's she doing? I announced to the room that it was Josie. Everyone replied, Hey. She had lived with us all for several months, and lover or hater, she'd become an honorary southerner. The next words out of her mouth once again sent my head spinning off into space, and my world into complete chaos. Zachary's not dead. I stopped breathing for a moment. When I caught my breath, I asked her to repeat that again. She did. Except this time, she added the fact that his life had been in danger. Blah, blah. He had to even hide from me. Blah, blah, blah. Jacob just had to think he was dead. I could literally feel my brain dripping out from my ears as my mind turned into mush with every word from her mouth. Then the real kicker to my drunken mental meltdown. Zachary got on the phone. Sure enough, it was his voice. He apologized for what he had to do. I apologized for what I was about to do, which was scream and yell my lungs out, 
throw my phone into a wall smashing it into a million pieces, and then proceed to go from being super hammered drunk to completely shithouse wasted. I drank everything that wasn't nailed down. Who knows what other drugs I did on top of that, because I sure don't remember. I was literally having a complete and total mental breakdown. The last strand of sanity in my brain just snapped. I did this for a couple more hours until I somehow drove back home, put on my work clothes, and tore out of the parking lot to go to my job in a city half an hour down the interstate, with people trying to chase me and stop me. I don't recall any of what happened next, but apparently this is what I did. I showed up to work completely wasted, and got fired from a damn good job. I called my father freaking out in the parking lot of said job. He realized I was drunk and told me to stay there and he would come get me. Oh how I wish crazy drunk me would have listened. Instead of doing that, I started driving on the interstate again, not caring if I lived or died. Obviously not caring about anyone else. According to the police report, I was tearing down the interstate at 1.30. Apparently I hit two mile markers on the side of the road, and blew out both my right hand tires but continued driving with sparks shooting 50 feet out of the back of my car. I took the exit to the hospital going that fast, and spun out and completely totaled what was left of my car. According to bystanders, I then proceeded to exit my vehicle and run across the whole interstate towards the hospital with people chasing after me. Once I got to the ER doors, I heard the now familiar whoop whoop of a police cruiser. I was arrested for driving under the influence, obviously. I blew a .20 about 12 hours after I had my last drink. If I had blown a .21, I would have gotten a felony charge. That led to years of failed drug tests, violated probations, and ultimately a year in jail down the line. After that, I decided enough was enough. These crazy people from Maryland and their insane concept of living could all go to hell as far as I was concerned. It had been nearly two years of torment, fear, and unimaginable pain. The worst was that it was starting to cost me my mind and my freedom. I was done listening to Josie, and ready to start listening to my real friends in town. They had been begging me to stay away from these people for a long time now. Some good friends sat me down and started to tell me all the inconsistencies in their stories over the last few years. First, I didn't want to listen, but eventually there was too much evidence to not. I finally opened my ears and my mind to what was really going on. I decided to figure this all out once and for all. I got on MySpace, Facebook, and every other social media I could think of. I typed in Josie's full name into the search bar of every single one. What I found, to this day, still makes me want to turn my stomach contents inside out. They are on every social media possible by using her name and the few email addresses I knew she had. I found dozens and dozens of accounts linked to her emails. Duplicate after duplicate of Zachary's full name on accounts with pictures of her, and the same thing with Jacob. Every single person supposedly in the elites. That's when it finally... After years of denial and torment, it finally hit me like a railroad car full of bricks. Holy shit. She's every single one of these people. She absolutely and unequivocally made up every single solitary one of these people and has been pretending to be a dozen or so more people over the two years. As you can imagine, my jaw hit the damn floor. Thank God I had some close friends there who kept me from falling apart. 
They helped me find every single fake profile she'd ever completed. I was dumbfounded. Profile after profile kept popping up. They all had her pictures, but the names of people I thought were real. We found prototype accounts before she ended up making the actual fake ones. Gags or jokes to her, really. In fact, all of this had to be one big, insane, psychotic joke. I was too shocked to be enraged yet. But don't worry, that's coming. I diligently copied every single link to every one of her profiles into my AOL. And then I called her. Hey, how are you? I'm alright, I guess. Just bored. You? Nope. Definitely not bored over here. Get on AIM and I'll show you something really interesting. I was nearly hysterical at that point. I could tell she knew something was up. Once she was online, I simply asked her, Hey Josie, what are all these? I sent her the link to every single one of the fake profiles she had ever created in her miserable life, and a few from email accounts I didn't even know belonged to her. The silence on the other end of the line was deafening. I heard her clicking through link after link. Her two-year-long mental game was over. She finally realized it. Her next words startled me. Well, fuck, man. I guess you got me. She started to laugh, genuinely laughing, as though something insanely funny had just occurred. I don't recall what I said, but it was bad enough for my friends to take away the phone and have to hold me down. Catfish the show or movie wasn't around way back then. I had unwittingly become one of the first hardcore victims of a stalker in the internet age. Worse than that, I had talked to, lived with, and even befriended the girl who had been stalking and trying to ruin my life. It was literally, and still is, the biggest mindfuck I've ever had. Thousands upon thousands of messenger conversations, hundreds and thousands of hours of phone, countless amounts of cash being sent to drive up several states away just to stay with my own stalker every time, even bringing her down to live with me for a few months having $5,000 mysteriously vanish out of my bank account. Everything was starting to make sense. There was no Jacob. There was no Zachary. There was no gang. What there actually was, was one completely batshit insane girl with more mental problems that I could fit in an encyclopedia. She was the only person I ever talked to. She was the only person I ever saw. Even worse, she was the one that paid Sean to come to my house with a gun and try to kill my entire family. Josie was the only person in these last two years that had orchestrated any of this. From all the fake kidnappings and boyfriend drama, faking the death of someone I had fallen in love with, bringing him back just to screw with my head. Who does that? All the events of the last two years came flooding back into my mind as I realized each and every one was solely her. So many questions raced through my head, the most of all being, why me? I deleted my MySpace and made my Facebook private. I only accept friends that I knew were real. I fell completely off the wagon and out of my head. Drugs, alcohol, more drugs, that's all I could do to cope. Here I was, a gay man, and I had unknowingly fallen in love with a straight woman. Regardless of whether or not I thought it was a gay man, which I wholeheartedly did, that shit fucks you in the head pretty bad. I didn't think I could ever be close with someone again. My world had been rocked and burned. To this day, all these years later, I still don't trust people. I don't think I'll ever be able to trust someone ever again. I mean, can you blame me? 
She came down here. Yeah, you heard me right. That bitch moved into my sister town not even a half hour away from me. I bumped into her by accident. We started talking. Again, as much as I wanted to stomp her in a bloody pulp on the ground and catch more flies with honey, I wanted answers. I deserved them. I told her I was just trying to forgive her and I needed answers to my questions in order to do so. I asked her if she would sit down with me and tell me everything. She reluctantly agreed. I politely informed her that this forgiveness was not for her, but it was for me so I could stop holding on to and living in the past. I explained she nearly killed me and ruined my life. What she did was the most personal and horrific thing one human being can do to another, especially after I was so damn good to her. She was polite and let me get what I needed off my chest. I tried to be calm, not rude so she wouldn't run away. I did get closure somewhat and answers to everything. Here's her explanation, so take it with a grain of salt. It started out as a joke when she was in high school. There was this girl who was being mean to her and bullying her. She thought she'd get her back by getting her to like a guy online and reveal the awful truth later. She made a bunch of prototype profiles, eventually almost 20 profiles in total, so it looked like this group of people had the same friends and they were real. She just pulled pictures off of Google. She knew none of these people in real life. She was having a good old time tricking this girl when along came a spider to mess up her web. Me. She said she thought she would just mess with me a bit, let me know she was actually a girl. But after talking to me for a while, she unintentionally fell in love with me. Whether that's true or not, I don't know what to believe. If she really did love me, then why did she hurt me so much and put me through hell for those two years? She said she wanted to tell me a million times, but it got so out of control. Before she knew it, she was really getting into being these people and believed that she was each of them and they were all real. Again, this chick is the world's best bullshitter I've ever met, so who knows what the truth really is. All I wanted to know was how did she get the music and how did she sound like a guy on the phone? The music, as she shockingly demonstrated to me, was actually hers. She was an amazing pianist and a guitar player. I saw this with my own eyes, even heard it with my own ears. Zachary's voice on the phone wasn't very complicated. Paid a guy friend a few bucks to be in on it, which this jerk-off eagerly agreed to. Ruining someone's life for a few bucks, how sweet. Sean was all her. She paid him 500 bucks to do that. She had zero explanation as to why. She knew he would really do it. He's just as much a psycho as she is. The rest of it was pure fantasy and imagination, all dolled up to be so extra crazy that I would care more about Zachary and give her more attention. As lie after lie was finally revealed and the truth brought to life, I had heard enough after around eight hours of this. I had heard everything I really ever needed to hear and wanted to. My life was destroyed. My family was nearly killed. My mental and emotional health left scarred forever, never to heal simply because she wasn't getting enough attention in her life. Neither was I when all that started, but I didn't go about like a human wrecking ball trying to destroy everyone else. I'll never be able to comprehend or understand the mind of someone like that, people who derive pleasure from other people's pain and misery. I'll never be able to trust fully, not in the way that's required of a true partner and companion, 
I just can't do that again. What if I'm mortally betrayed again? I know the next time it will kill me. So as I write this in my apartment, a little over a decade after it all happened, I'm alone. One good thing did come from this. Sure as hell made me the person I am today. It strengthened and toughened my resolve into tempered steel. I learned to be okay with myself, and to finally love myself after so many years of self-loathing. I'm a pretty amazing person. I don't need a man to define my life, who I am in any shape, form, or fashion. Obviously, I'm worth something. Otherwise, this psycho chick wouldn't have latched onto me for years and ended up moving eight hours away from her home to be 30 minutes away from me. What she stole, I'll never get back. But what I gained, she can never take that away from me again. What is up guys, Blue Spooky here, as always. Thank you guys so much for watching, especially if you made it this far to the end of the video. Please be sure to like, share, or subscribe if you guys feel so inclined. I actually have a couple of announcements for you guys here at the end card today. So uh, first off, my friend Alan, who is an artist, uh, I've been working with him on some uh, designs for some merch for like t-shirts and stuff like that so uh, hopefully those will be done pretty soon i'm waiting to get a couple of designs done before i release those so uh, hopefully you guys will be able to get those soon secondly uh, he also offered to help me make some thumbnails for my videos so that i don't always have to make them myself so uh, we'll probably be working together a lot in the future so I'm going to be sure to link all of his social media and stuff in the description below because uh, he's a really good artist and he's a good friend of mine, so you guys should definitely go check out his work. Also, if you guys want to make sure to get all of the new notifications for when all of my videos come out, uh, make sure to click that little bell right next to the subscribe button and turn the notifications on to all because uh, if you set it to personalized, you won't always get the notifications for the channel. Uh, they'll just disappear sometimes, so that's how you get notifications for when the new videos are coming out. Uh, as always, links to all of my social media will be in the description below, including my Twitter, Gmail, Facebook, and Twitch accounts. I also have a Discord now, so I'll probably be putting that in the description from now on as well. If you guys have a story that you would like me to read, or that you would like to share personally, uh, please be sure to send it to me in a message on either my Gmail or my Facebook, as those are what I check most often. If you do decide to send in a story, please be sure to include in the tagline the name of the story, what type of story it is, if it has one, and how you would like to be credited in the description of the video the story appears in. Uh, if you guys are curious about the music at all used in the videos, uh, the music is always listed in the description below the video in the order which it appears, and I also have links to the artists as well, so be sure to check them out. I think for now, that's everything though guys, so thank you very much for watching, and I hope you have a wonderful day.